Anyways, uh, this morning we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of John, uh, which is entitled The Word. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've been going through uh, the interaction with Jesus uh, and the Samaritan woman. Uh, and through that, over the last couple of weeks, Dale did one two weeks ago uh, about finding that fulfillment and satisfaction from Jesus, that aspect of the well within us that springs up, welling up to eternal life. Uh, and then the second one um, being the sustenance and purpose that we find uh, in doing the will of the fathers, where Jesus says, I have food that you do not know of. Uh, and so that's what we were kind of looking at over the past couple of weeks, uh, how that transformed life then becomes a light to others uh, that draws them to the gospel. Uh, the Samaritan woman went back to her village, was kind of sharing her testimony, and, and then the whole village uh, started heading out to Jesus. And this is kind of where we left off. We'll be picking up in verse 43. Uh, but before we read that, uh, let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you as we come to your holy word. We thank you that it is alive and that it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it cleaves down into the innermost parts of us. We pray that you would do your work. Father, where we need to change, change us. Where we need to be strengthened, strengthen us. If we need encouragement, conviction, Father, we trust you for all these things. As we read through this passage, I pray that you make it alive to us uh, and that it would be food to our souls. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are uh, in John chapter 4, verse 43. Uh, and so it says, After two days he left there for Galilee. Uh, so again, the whole village was kind of coming back, and we're, we're assuming then here for two days Jesus is ministering to them uh, through healing and preaching. He's there for two days. They leave for Galilee. Uh, verse 44, Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Uh, so this is actually referring back to uh, one of the other Gospels, Matthew or Mark, uh, where it's talking about Jesus is there in Nazareth in Galilee, kind of his own hometown. Uh, he's preaching a little bit, um, and they reject him. Uh, they basically say, who are you to be able to say, isn't this Jesus, like the son of the carpenter? Uh, and so Jesus makes this comment uh, where prophet has no honor. So he's actually returning back to this area where these people have kind of rejected him after preaching. When they entered into Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So they weren't rejecting him anymore at this point, but they were welcoming him because they had seen everything that he did in Jerusalem during the festival. For they had also gone to the festival. And so here's a sense of a change of mind that the Galileans went through. At first, they're like, well, isn't this Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, who, who built my table? Like, who is he to be able to preach to us? And so they kind of dismissed him. But then everybody heads up to this uh, festival or this Sabbath uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, and while he's there, it says that they saw everything that he did during the festival. And then based on this, when Jesus comes back, their minds are completely changed. And they're like, okay, let's do some stuff here. Now, we don't know exactly what happened during this festival. 
Uh, but what we can tell uh, throughout the rest of Scripture, uh, there's 42 different recorded instances uh, of where somebody's blind is healed, paralytics, the casting out of demons, raising of dead, leprosy, uh, he spits on the ground and rubs mud in somebody's eye and then they're able to see. Uh, there's a child who's died and his mother is mourning as the funeral procession is going by and he raises the child from the dead. Uh, we can only imagine that some of these things that the Galileans saw happen in Jerusalem uh, for this. And so they're, they're welcoming him into this, kind of excited, like, all right, he did this in Jerusalem, it's our turn now. So it continues on. He, he's kind of in Galilee. In verse 46, he goes again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. Uh, and so not only now is he kind of known for what happened in Jerusalem, but he's heading back to the area uh, where people would be recognizing this miracle that happened uh, where the water was turned into wine. And so Jesus is kind of known at this point. Therefore, it says in this next section, it says there was a certain royal official whose son was ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had come into Judea, into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him to come down and heal his son since he was about to die. And so again, Jesus is more known. Uh, people are starting to track his movements. Um, they didn't have cell phones back then to be able to pull up like Life 360, uh, you know, or find my friends and be like, okay, there's the blue dot. Jesus is over here now. Um, but it would have been through like word of mouth. Oh, we heard that Jesus is heading towards Galilee. And so you can see that he's starting to draw people from different areas. Uh, this guy comes from Capernaum which would have been a distance of somewhere between 16 to 22 miles that he would have had to travel in order to try and arrive, uh, again, by foot most likely, uh, in order to arrive uh, where Jesus is and hoping that the timing works out. Like, okay, he's, I heard he was in Jerusalem. I heard he's heading to Galilee. I'm just going to walk there hoping that I bump into Jesus because my son is dying. Just think of the faith that it would kind of take just at the point to do that. How many of us, when our kid is ill, we, we don't even necessarily like want to leave the house? Like, like we want to make sure that we're there and like how can we take care of you? And, and let alone uh, a sense of knowing that his son was about to die, it would have been very difficult for him in that situation to say, you know what, I, I'm going to leave for now and, and hope that he's still alive when I get. It shows the desperation but also the hope and trust that he had that Jesus would be able to do something. And so he travels 16 to 22 miles, finds Jesus. And so he walks up to Jesus, and most likely, again, there's this crowd here now because they recognize what Jesus has been doing. So this official comes up and, and tells Jesus, he's pleading with him to heal his son. And we see Jesus reply in verse 48. Jesus told him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. How many expected that response if you hadn't read through this passage before? Here's this guy. He's coming. His son is dying. And he's saying, I need you. Please come and heal my son or he's going to die. And the words that come out of Jesus' mouth are, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, he's not just talking to the man here in this circumstance. He's talking to this whole crowd. 
And again, remember, this crowd in Galilee initially rejected him. But then once they saw signs, they started to say, well, yeah, he's kind of cool. Do some more stuff here. And so what Jesus, here again, and we've seen this happen throughout the book of John, is he works at discerning what's in people's hearts. His conversation with Nicodemus went beyond just simple theology and miracles into the need for salvation and being born again. His conversation with the woman at the well was not just about water or her life or her sins, but her need for something eternal and everlasting and ongoing welling up within her. The way that he responds to things is not just in a direct one-to-one manner as we do so often on earth. He says to the woman, give me a drink. And she's like, well, how? Well, I've got water that you don't know. I've got food that you don't know. His response often is actually replying to something else instead of the thing that's immediate at hand and actually addresses both things. So he's sitting here and telling the crowd, it's not all about signs and wonders. It's about believing in me. You need to believe in me. And he's kind of criticizing, in a sense, their wishy-washy, oh, no, we reject when he teaches, but now that he's done cool things, we want to see more cool things. And at the same time, I believe that, that he is testing the man who has come. How is he going to respond? If you walked up to somebody who was famous and you're like, can I have your autograph? And they responded to you like, nobody's a fan unless they get an autograph. How do you respond in that moment? I think a lot of people's tendency would be like, I'm kind of a fan, but wow, no, never mind. And walk away at that point. This guy has a choice here in this moment. When Jesus says, you won't believe unless you see signs and wonders, what does this man do? We see in the very next verse, in verse 49, Sir, the official said to him, come down before my boy dies. He believes and he knows that Jesus can do something. Based on what he's heard. And he's putting his trust in Jesus to do something. Even though his faith was tested a little bit in that moment where Jesus is like, you don't believe unless you see things. And he just presses in and says, I need you to work in this situation. I, I, I need you to do something in this situation. And he's requesting for Jesus to come. Verse 50, Jesus responds, go, your son will live. The man believed what Jesus said to him and departed. And when he was still going down, his servants met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked what time his son got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him, they answered. The father realized that this was the very hour at which Jesus had told him, your son will live. So he himself believed. This is that Greek word pistis or pistuo that we keep bringing out. It's that trust for salvation uh, in Jesus uh, along with his whole household. Uh, This was also the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judea to Galilee. Uh, And so he responds in this. uh, And again, this son uh, is healed. 
So there's a couple of things that we can learn from this. Uh, the first one, uh, again, is that aspect of faith and trust. And sometimes it's easier when things are going our way or we're getting what we like. If we're walking through our Christian life and, and everything is clicking together and it feels like God is blessing us at every turn, uh, it's easy kind of in that moment to say, yep, God is with me. Who can be against me? There's other times in our life where it can get difficult and life can be hard and we're going through some trials and it takes that stepping out uh, in faith uh, to be able to trust even when we don't see the answer around the corner. It can be hard for us to do at times. Or, or we might pray and ask and, and God responds in a way that we don't necessarily understand the answer, but we still have to press in in faith the way that this man did in this situation. In fact, James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes it this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. To consider it a great joy when we experience various trials. That's a hard thing to do. Because we don't like to go through trials. We don't like the experience of this testing and, and how it makes us feel, how it stresses us out at times, or, or how we just don't know what's happening and we feel like we're out of control. But the words here for trials and testing uh, really refer, uh, refer uh, to the refining process that's often done with metals by heat. And so here you have this ore and it's put into this crucible over the fire and through this melting process where it's deconstructed, the dross or the imperfections rise to the surface which are then able to be skimmed out easily. And what's left behind is this refined ore that's more precious than it was before it went through the trial or the testing. The Holy Spirit is saying here that it's the same for us in our faith. That we go through difficult times in our life and it might feel like everything's falling apart, but it's God's intention in that moment to use that feeling of things going out of our control to allow the junk that's within us, the sin that we try to cling on to that He's asking for us to let go of, the, the little areas of our lives where we try and control more than we trust. When things feel like they're falling apart, those things rise to the surface really easily. And if we struggle with anger, anger pops out. If we struggle with uh, a lack of trust, that comes out in fear or anxiety. If we worry about finances and things are happening in our economy, it just easily comes to the surface. And it's a time for us in that moment to say to God, would you take the dross? Would you take this from me? I, I give it over to you. I trust for you to refine me in this. And that's why we can consider it great joy. Because as these things come up, we trust for God to work in them, and then the resulting product is a refined faith. Well, our faith is more valuable and more precious to us, having gone through these trials and through these circumstances. Just a, a practical note of consideration in this um, is something that my wife 
uh, a tip that she actually gave me that's been really helpful um, is that as you're kind of going through life and, and then you start to feel anxious, start to feel fear, start to feel angry, start to feel uh, lust, start to feel temptation, start to feel these other things, just consider it the dross rising to the surface. God, take that. It's being revealed right now. Take it. I trust you to work in it. And, and praying that as the things pop up is almost like this acknowledgement of this is a trial, and as I walk with Christ through this, as I trust him to refine me, I'm going to get through this. And I'm going to be stronger because I trusted him through that. It helps us to acknowledge in that moment as anxiety wells up or, or fear or lack of trust. That's coming up, just stepping back from that feeling and saying, okay, God, this is just dross. Helps us to tune our minds onto the eternal instead of what we're feeling in the moment. Um, and I'm grateful that she shared that with me. It's been helpful for me uh, and just kind of wanted to pass that on. But this man here in the situation found himself where his faith was being tested. Jesus, I need you to heal my son. He's going to die. Well, you're not going to believe unless you see signs. No, no, please. I need you to do this. And then Jesus' response in that moment was like, okay, you can go. It's, your son's going to live. How much faith would it take in that moment for him to be like, Okay, you're not coming? No, go, go ahead. Okay. And he's like going back. Remember, he's walking back 15 to 22 miles. How many thoughts would come into your head? I believe. I don't believe. Help my lack of belief, as another man had said. And so he's walking back, and his servants are there, and then he finds out the timing all works together. And it says in this moment that he believed and he was saved with his whole household because of this. So this man went through that testing period. We do it ourselves at times as well in various situations. The other thing uh, that we can learn from this um, is, again, the supernatural power of Jesus. The supernatural ability uh, for him to be able to do things that, that don't make sense to us. I was thinking about some of these things here on Father's Day uh, and just some of the things that my dad has done um, uh, that when I was a kid it made no sense to me. Like, like right now, even with Eliana, my daughter, she's 10, there's certain things that will happen. She's like, well, how did you do that? How did you open that jar? And I'm like, I got dad powers. You know? And so my, you know, my dad's actually, my mom and dad are visiting for here for Father's Day. I'm excited about that. Um, but I was thinking about some of the things that he did. And, and I remember the first time I ever really saw magnets. And, and, and it's just like he had this metal ball on top of a, our kitchen table. And he's like, watch this. And, and then the ball would just start rolling back and forth and zigzagging. And, and it would just like, he's like, oh, wow, it's going to turn right. And then it would just turn right. And I'm like, how is this even happening? You know, and, and I had no idea and come to find out later, he had the more powerful magnet, like, under the table. And my mind was just blown. Like, I don't know how he's doing this. The, the next thing that popped into my mind is we were having this massive water fight um, at our house. 
And, and I had like one of the best super soakers. I loved that thing. I could soak somebody so quickly with it. Um, and, and then, but my dad, what he did was he camped out by the hose, right? Like that's strategic move number one. Like just block the water source. And then when my super soaker runs out, he's sitting there with the hose to get me, right? So I start complaining, like, this isn't fair, this is cheating, and I run inside the house, and I fill up my super soaker, and I head back out, and I'm trying to, like, sneak around the house to where he is with the hose to be able to hit him from the backside, and he's not there. So I'm like, okay, I've got the hose now. So I go and I grab the hose, and I'm just waiting for him to come back out. And he comes around the corner with these two water balloons. And I take the hose, and I'm just ready to nail him. And I squeeze it, and nothing comes out. <laughs> I reach over, and I turn on the water, and the water's on, and nothing is coming out. And he just slowly walks up, and poosh, poosh. I'm like, how did you do this? The water's on. And, and he eventually walks me in and shows me, like, the main water shutoff is in the so dad powers right we got dad powers uh, that don't necessarily make sense to kids it's the same thing with god and us the way god works doesn't always make sense to us this man was coming to jesus because his son was dying he's like i need you to physically come with me to my son in order to heal him i need you to come Oh, you're not going to believe unless signs are wandered. No, I need you to come with me. And Jesus' response in that moment is, go, it's done. And it's not the only time He's done things like this. There was a time where a woman who was having an issue of blood for many years just said, if I could only touch the hem of His garment, I'll be made well and healed. She doesn't even talk to him, but touches the hem of the garment, and she's healed in that moment. We see passages after Jesus uh, was resurrected and rose to heaven. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost 33 CE, and we see situations. Um, I believe it was Peter would be walking by, and People would like lay the sick out on the, the ground for Peter to kind of walk by so that the shadow would cross them and some people would be healed. Or Paul had these sweat rags. Literally, it's what the text says. It's, you know, it's, we think it's nice like handkerchief, but really like he made tents for a living. And, and so these are probably some of the rags that he had as he was making tents. Um, and they would take these to the people who are sick and, and they would be healed. Peter and John were walking in and there was a man laying on the ground who had been paralyzed for most of his life asking for money. Money we don't have. But what we do have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, pick up your mat and walk. And the man was healed. God works in ways that do not make sense to us. And the lesson that we learn in this passage is that we may go to Jesus in full faith and say, God, I need you to work in this way. God might answer that prayer in that moment, in the way that we're asking. But maybe He won't. Maybe it won't be answered in the way that we expect. 
Maybe what we really need isn't even what we're asking for. And he can discern past that and work in our lives in the way that we most need. God works in a supernatural way. And we need to trust him in that and however he decides to do it. Imagine if this man in the moment was like, Jesus, I need you to come. And Jesus' response was, no, it's already done. And the man replied in that moment, well, fine, if you're not coming, why would I ever even believe in you? But he chose to step forward in faith again to go. And then that faith was confirmed when he heard that the answer to that prayer happened the very moment that he was talking to Jesus the previous day. It's that step in faith. And Jesus tells us that we really only need a little faith. Matthew 17, beginning verse 18, it says, um, they're talking about uh, casting a demon out of this boy. Uh, the disciples weren't able to do it. Uh, and Jesus says here in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. From that moment, the boy was healed. Then the disciples approached Jesus privately and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Because of your little faith, he told them. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, this is a hard verse, right? Because we all want to have that faith of a mustard seed to be able to say to a mountain, move from here to there. And as we've prayed in our life, there's circumstances that, that as we've prayed, we've seen those answers and we praise God for that. In other aspects of our life, we pray those things and we say, I've got the faith for this. And that prayer necessarily isn't answered at least the way that we're expecting. That's again where we have to rely and, and trust that God does things sometimes in ways that we don't expect. And perhaps we're praying in a very specific way and God's like, that's not how I want to do it. And then we're all disappointed because we don't get exactly what we want, how we want it to happen. We need to pray in a way that trusts and engages in faith, but we also understand that faith grows and faith is refined and it goes through a process that makes it stronger and more valuable. And that process, we're told in James, is through trials. And so if we're struggling, if we're feeling like, oh, I, I wish I had more faith, Ask for it. We have the example of the man where, where Jesus says, if you believe, he's like, I believe, but help my unbelief. We just start there. And then as we go through life and as we go through these trials, as we trust and as we're tested, endurance grows and this endurance has effect so that we grow into maturity and our faith grows as we continue to press in. This man just started out with the faith saying, I just hope that I cross paths with Jesus. Now, let me just I mean, imagine walking up to Jesus and, and saying, okay, out of everybody here that's clamoring for something, would you heal my son? That was another step in faith. And as he took that little step, his faith grew. Jesus' reply was like, well, you don't believe unless you see. And he decides in that moment, as he's being tested, to take another little step in faith saying, please come. Jesus is like, okay, it's done, go. 
He takes another step by saying, all right, uh, I'm not going to keep asking. He says it's done, so I'm going to step in faith and, and just start walking. The point where his faith came to full completion was at the testimony of the healing. It says in that moment, he himself believed that Greek word pistis. Before that was this growing faith that as he continued to be faithful and stepping out and trusting, it grew and it grew until it had its full effect. It's the same thing in our own lives. We may not know everything that God is doing, but we know that He is at work. In Romans 8, it says that He works out all things for good for those who love Him and follow Him and are called according to His He works out all things. This situation in your life right now where you don't see the solution, we're promised that God is at work. The way that He helps may not be what you expect or even want, but He is at work. What we can learn from this passage is that all things lead us to Jesus. If we're in joy and peace, it leads us to Jesus and He's at work. If it's trials and tribulations, our troubles lead us to Jesus and He's at work. All it takes from us is this desire to commit to exercise our faith and to let Him grow it as He works in our lives and we look for Him to move. It's a simple practice of abiding in Jesus. A practice of trusting. A practice of faith. And then never assuming that we know what Jesus will do. Because He always does things according to what is right and good and perfect. And how many of us know what perfect is compared to the Creator of all things? We can pray for our need and then trust. When God moves, don't keep it to yourself. That's the other lesson in this. What did He do? He believed. He went home. He told His family the testimony of what happened. And His whole family came to salvation. It's the same thing with the Samaritan woman. Here he's moving. She recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, the source of salvation. She goes and she shares it with other people. And the light continues and expands. When God moves in your life, don't keep answered prayers to yourself. Because you never know what that testimony might do and how it might lead others to salvation. Or might lead others to strengthen their faith in a difficult situation. This morning, before the, uh, we pray and, and we close in uh, some song, I just want to take some time um, for either testimonies of the way that God has worked in your life and, and you want to share that and how it increased your faith. Maybe it was a situation where you didn't quite have a lot of faith and the way God moved strengthened your faith. Um, or any other thoughts uh, on the rest of this message this morning. Uh, just take a few minutes for that, for the church to kind of minister to the church. Uh, and then we'll go from there. So, uh, anybody this morning? <laughs>